Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I want to tell you about the fine cotton affair. We're heading back into the wide world of sports for this episode. Bloody love a bit of sporting history, don't we? Um, also, equine history. So uh, I better wa- I better watch my step here or Megan will be all over me. Um, no talk of white horses, of course. No, no such thing as a white horse. Uh, they're all grey, apparently, according to horsey people. So we've got to avoid all the horsey stereotypes. Stereotypes which I can tell you from personal experience living with a horsey person, um, most of them are, you know, most of them are nonsense. There's this stereotype that all horse people are rich, and uh, that's certainly not true. I'm I'm surprised they have any money at all, given how much money they spend on their animals. Um, although there is the stereotype that horse people, you know, stink of hay and manure, and uh, that well, mm, eh, perhaps perhaps I'd uh, perhaps I'd better not say anything about that one. Anyway, um, the story of fine cotton. It is one of the biggest scandals in Australian racing history, and also one of the funniest. I have to say, it is filled with questionable choices and ridiculous stuff-ups and all sorts of other entertaining nonsense. As a racing syndicate attempted what's known as a ring-in, a substitution scam where you enter a bad horse into a race, knowing that it's bad. You bet on it at long odds and then sneakily switch it out at the, uh, at the last minute for a much faster horse and then collect the winnings. Um, and, for, and for this suggestion of a bit of equestrian history here, we are thanking alert listeners George Cartwright, Jimmy G, and young Oscar and Alfie, who were fans of the show at a young age. Good on your mum and dad for getting them started early. Anyway, the story of fine cotton, it begins in 1984. Aussies everywhere are still reeling from the absolute pasting we were given by the, the, by the West Indies in the cricket. And uh, presumably, you know, they're all going around taking off their taking their mind off things by uh, by going out to watch the original Ghostbusters film, which came out in 1984, or perhaps by listening to the uh, the Aussie rock classic "Hell of a Summer" by the Triffids, um, the Triffids, uh, an 80s Australian rock band. And uh, interestingly, the guitarist from the Triffids, uh, after his uh, career as a musician, he went on to have a very successful career as a high school geography teacher. And the reason that I know this is because he taught me. For real life, this is a true story. Um, sorry, Mr. McComb, for uh, for just everything, really. Sorry about that. Anyway, back to 1984 we go, and we zoom into the great state of Queensland and its capital, Brisbane, to meet a horse by the name of Fine Cotton. Fine Cotton was a thoroughbred born in 1976, and uh, look, I don't, I don't want to have a go at the poor horse here, but uh, he just... He just wasn't much of a racehorse, to be honest. Um, in fact, he was such a career underperformer that he could be raced in what are known as restricted races. Um, races that have a cap on the number of wins that horses can have to be entered in them. In other words, it, it is just a question MMR or, or ELO, really. You anyway, know, in, uh, in August 1984, Fine Cotton had not been putting up good results. Um, he had had 
odds in excess of 20 to 1 on him in recent races, which, you know, reflected his pretty ordinary form on the track. And due to this poor form, a racing syndicate headed by a bloke named John Gillespie decided to use fine cotton for a substitution scam, a ring-in. Now, as I, as I sort of said before, uh, the basic idea of a ring-in is this. You put up a horse that everyone knows is just a, just a bit crap. Um, so all the bookies and, and the betting agents, they give it long odds, 20 to 1, 30 to 1, whatever, terrible odds. But in spite of this, you go ahead and pour piles of money into bets on this you know, terrible horse all the same because on race day itself, you don't bring the terrible horse. You bring a different horse, one that looks just like it, but is actually a lot better. So it runs at the long odds. It trounces everyone else in the field. Remember, in restricted races, the horse, the horses really aren't the best of the best. And then you uh, you collect on your 20 to 1 winnings. Easy peasy. Gillespie even had a perfect ring in lined up. A horse, a horse named Dashing Solitaire uh, that was, as you might say, a dead ringer for fine cotton. This is actually where the phrase ring in comes from, from the term ringer, which was an, an old phrase uh, used to describe a duplicate or a copy of something. Anyway, Dashing Solitaire, perfect for the job. He's the same brown color, color as fine cotton uh, with the same, oh dear, um, white markings on his hind legs or grey, maybe. I don't know if the white grey thing only applies when it's a whole horse, Um uh, not not just bits of it. I don't know. Anyway, what, what, whatever the case, Dashing Solitaire looks just like Fine Cotton and is a much better performing horse. Not that that's a very high bar to clear. Uh, and so he's almost guaranteed to win a restricted race. No worries. However, Dashing Solitaire's keepers had very foolishly kept him in a paddock with barbed wire fence around it. And Dashing Solitaire had promptly dashed straight into it and, and, and he'd torn his legs to pieces. He couldn't race. With just days to go before the race that the syndicate had planned the ring-in for, Gillespie and uh, the trainer he was working with, a bloke by the name of Hayden Haitana, um, a Kiwi who had apparently spent time behind bars uh, for stealing chainsaws, of all things, um, the two of them, they rushed to find another solution, and specifically, another horse. They'd, just, they'd put far too much time, money and effort into setting up this scam to just back out of it at this stage. They can't actually run fine cotton either, because the poor horse will just lose and that'll be that. So... They start going around at top speed, searching high and low through stables that might have a horse that looks something like fine cotton for sale. And they run, they run out of time very, very quickly. Gillespie, he's calling everyone he can think of. Uh, and at the last minute, he comes across, well, not a good alternative, but just an alternative, a horse named Bold Personality that was down in Balna in, uh, in New South Wales, a three-hour drive from Brisbane. And so the day before the race, um, Gillespie whacks the float on and he zooms down the M1 to this stable where he convinces Bold Personality's owner to accept a check for $20,000 for this horse. Now, Gillespie does not have $20,000 to cover the check, but it's late on a Friday afternoon, and by the time old mate cashes the check he's been given on Monday, the money should be there after, you know, Gillespie goes and cleans up with the ring in at this race. Now, even if it sounds like, you know, at this stage everything's coming together perfectly, there is, uh, there is a problem, a small problem, um, something they're going to have to deal with before, before the race the next day. Bold personality looks absolutely nothing like fine cotton. Fine Cotton was a brown horse, while Bold Personality was bay, which is a different brown, apparently. To me, they look exactly the same, but I'm colorblind, so I don't I actually don't know if this is another white-gray thing or if it's a 
Riley can't see colours properly thing. In any case, Gillespie, he bungs bold personality into the float. He burns back up the M1 to Brisbane and he meets up with Haitana to solve this colour problem. They had had someone, while Gillespie was down in New South Wales, they'd had someone drive around between all the chemists and pharmacists in suburban Brisbane to buy, to solve this problem, right? To solve this problem of uh, of bold personality being the wrong colour. This is actually what they did. They sent someone to go and buy boxes and boxes of Clairol hair dye. Gillespie and Hatana, right? Once this bloke returned with all of the uh, with all the with all the Clairol, they put on those flimsy little plastic gloves you get, and they empty all of these boxes of dye over the poor horse, hoping to darken it up to to find cotton's brown. But as anyone who has ever attempted a box jo- a box dye job will know. This absolutely did not work because not only uh, did bold personality look nothing like fine cotton and, and, and that particular shade of brown, bold personality ended up turning apparently fire engine red. I don't know how this happened. Uh, maybe the bloke that Gillespie and Hotana sent off to get all the boxes of dye, maybe he was colorblind just like me and maybe he accidentally bought boxes of red dye instead of brown. But whatever the case... If horse people can can tell the difference between bay and brown, which are just both brown, um, I I guess they can definitely tell the difference between brown and you know fire engine red, even if I can't. And um, by this stage, of course, it's the night before the race. It's far too late to pull out. Everything else is already in place for this ring-in scan. They're going to lose everything if they don't pull it off. So the next morning, on the eighteenth of August, nineteen eighty-four, race day. Poor old bold personality. He was washed down and scrubbed within an inch of his life to get rid of the dye, uh, which did return him more or less to his original colour. But again, not the colour of uh, of fine cotton. But it's then that these jokers realise, right, they had forgotten about the white markings on his hind legs. They had planned to bleach these markings on with peroxide, but these absolute turkeys had completely forgotten and now they just didn't have time. So what they did is, unbelievably, this, this was what these criminal masterminds decided was their best bet to try to get this horse to pass, right? They spray painted his hind legs with white paint. So now this poor horse, right, it has been dyed, it has been undyed, and it's now been spray painted and is still expected to go and win this race while posing as fine cotton. They load poor old bold personality back onto the float. They head off to Eagle Farm Racecourse for him to for him to run in this restricted novice race, which again he was far too good a horse for, even after everything that he's just been through. But the horse that he was posing as, however fine cotton, was thought of as was thought of so badly that even in the, in this low grade race, the betting opened on fine cotton at thirty three to one. The syndicate and everyone in on the scam started to make their bets, knowing about the ring in and wanting to cash in, and so the odds began to shorten. But the money kept coming in. Far too much of it and far too quickly and from far too far away, all around the nation. People in on the scam were placing their bets on this obscure horse in this obscure race. And obviously word had really gotten around because even international bets began to be placed as well. After starting at 33 to 1, as I say, or $34 in decimal odds, which for those who are not well acquainted with sports betting um, means that it's, it's very unlikely to happen um, 33 to 1 indicates a, a chance of less than 3%. Um, but Fine Cotton ended up shortening to 7 to 2, uh, or $4.50 in decimal, or a 22% chance of winning. Now, when this happens, it's known as a betting plunge. And while smaller plunges happen sometimes in racing, plunges of this scale are very unusual and also, as you can expect, very suspicious. 
Um, and also suspicious is where all of these bets are coming from, not just from nearby bookies in, in you know places like the Gold Coast, but also down in Sydney and Melbourne, even internationally, as I say, from places like Fiji. So even before the race began, the racing authorities are starting to wonder if something is up. Even as the horses were lining up for the start of the race, the track stewards are talking talking about cancelling the uh, the race to investigate, but they don't. And so the race gets underway with bold personality posing as fine cotton. His jockey, a bloke named Gus Philpot, was apparently very surprised to find how quick his horse was once the once they all got underway. He was expecting to race on a, you know, 33 to 1 outsider, but the horse that he was on quickly ran out in front of the others neck and neck with the initial favourite. And uh, it was probably a much closer race than the syndicate would have liked uh, because bold person, oh, sorry, sorry, not bold personality, fine cotton, of course, just managed to snag the victory by half a head at the finish line. It was a very close thing. Poor old bold personality had been really, really been put through the works in, in the lead up to this race. So it was a miracle he actually managed to cross the finish line at all, uh, let alone in first place. But of course, this victory um, only made the stewards all the more suspicious because there was a betting plunge on an out of form horse that then went ahead and won the race out of nowhere. All right, mate. Pull one of the other ones. They've got bells on. As shouts of ring in spread around Eagle Farm after the race, the punters all rushed to the bookies to try to secure their winnings. And they were the lucky ones because within minutes, fine cotton, so-called, is under investigation. Gillespie is being asked to produce the horse's paperwork as he's desperately attempting to delay and stall. Um, while Haitana, who is you know also being asked to verify the horse's identity, um, his response to this was to just run away from the race course and disappear. But then, uh, as this investigation is beginning to get into full swing, two things happen that render the investigation thoroughly unnecessary uh, by revealing the whole scheme in an instant. And the first is that the previous owner of Bold Personality, the bloke from Ballina, he just so happened to be at the race. And as he came forward to have you know a bit of a sticky beak at the unfolding scandal, he recognised not only the horse that he had sold, but also Gillespie, who had given him the cheque for $20,000. And so he confirms that he knows the horse to be a ringin' and he was able to back up his claim with his paperwork. And then, just in case they needed any more evidence, the investigating stewards notice that the horse's white hind leg markings were starting to drip down onto his hooves. And look, I'm not a horse expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm reasonably certain that this is not something that typically happens with horses. Although, you know, maybe, maybe I should check with Megan before making a claim like that. Who knows? Anyway, the stewards, they, they quickly announced the disqualification of fine cotton from the race. And so all the bets placed on this horse are off. Anyone who wasn't lucky enough to, to collect before, before the, the disqualification was announced, they're just they're out of luck. They lost their money. That was it. And poor old bold personality himself, he was led off to rest and recover from this ordeal and he never raced again. And fair enough, too, after what he'd been through. But the story doesn't end there. Because the Queensland Turf Club and the Australian Jockey Club, they got involved, too. They investigated those who had been involved in this scam. And it emerged that two very high-profile bookmakers had been on board with this betting. Two high-profile bookmakers by the name of Bill and Robbie Waterhouse. And if you're an Australian racing fan and you feel like those names are somewhat familiar, it may be because Robbie Waterhouse is the husband of none other than Guy Waterhouse, the first woman to train a Melbourne Cup winner. So these uh, these two are very, very well known, very high profile people in the world of Australian horse racing. But both of them, they were banned from 
from racing and bookmaking and they weren't reinstated for a decade and a half, um, as indeed was the fate uh, of a handful of other people who were involved, including, of course, Gillespie and Hitana. But not the jockey. Gus Philpot, who by all accounts had no idea about the scam, he uh, he emerged from this scandal unscathed, his reputation intact, and today he is still training horses down in rural, rural Victoria. Gillespie and Haitana, however, they weren't so lucky. They weren't just banned from participating in racing by the turf club, they were also banned from participating in society in general by the Queensland court system. Gillespie and Haitana both received jail terms for their attempted scam, which, had it come off, would have earned them millions and millions of dollars in bets. Um, but Haitana, he took some finding before he could be uh, he could, before he could be bunged in jail. He fled to South Australia and was only caught after after agreeing to appear in an interview on 60 Minutes, which uh, wasn't the smartest move. Um, and Gillespie also fled the authorities, but was eventually discovered uh, laying low at his sister's place. When the cops arrived to uh, drag him out in front of a judge, he was found hiding in a cupboard. Haitana, he got six months. He's back in He's back in prison first for, you know, stealing chainsaws and now for this ring-in operation. But Gillespie, as the ringleader, he got four years. However, it doesn't really seem like he learned his lesson from this prison term because in 1998, he was found selling fake passports in the Philippines. And in the 2000s, he was running a scam involving, of all things, anti-wrinkle cream. And then, most recently, you'll find his name in the Panama Papers as a facilitator of corrupt and criminal financial dealings. But I don't know how he has managed to escape prosecution for all of this stuff. Um, Or maybe, maybe he just dyed his hair red and spray-painted his legs white. Maybe that's how he tries to solve all of his problems. (laughs) 